But thank God for Jesus who gives us, us the victory. Amen. We're more than conquerors. And so it's so good to be here on this, what's known as Palm Sunday. It's the day Jesus Christ rode in uh, on a donkey and, and was accepted by the people as a Savior for now. But uh, they didn't understand that he wasn't the Savior from Rome at that time, but the Savior of the world from sin. Take your Bibles and look at Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. And do continue, as I said, to pray for Virginia uh, Clayton and her family. A uh, tough time for them. And I haven't heard anything about funeral arrangements. Maybe, you know, the kids have a church they're connected to, so we may not be involved in that, but be praying. And if they, they do have visitation, encourage them, if you will. And uh, encourage one another. Remember, that's our calling to encourage. We, we talked about that a few months back. We're also called to reconcile people to God and to one another. So uh, let, let's do what we need to do. Be, be encouragers like Barnabas. But it's so good to be here today. We're looking at Matthew chapter 21. Let's stand and read this together. It is a long passage, 11 verses, not too long. Do you know the children of Israel would read entire scrolls called methcalas? They would read Ruth at one festival, Song of Solomon. Esther, can you imagine if I had you stand for all of that? Uh, we'd have a long standing, wouldn't we? Uh, but anyway, that's a silly corny joke, a pun. But, so this isn't too long. It's only 11 verses. Let's read. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethpage unto the Mount of Olives, then sent Jesus two disciples, saying unto them, Go into a village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. Now that is Zechariah 9.9. Tell ye the daughters of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon an ass, and a colt the foal of an ass. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put clothes on them, put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from trees and strewed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed after cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he was coming to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. God bless us. We thank you, God, for your word. And I don't know what you're going to do today. I know what I've studied, but I pray for you to intervene and guard my mind and help me to say what needs to be said. And Lord, help, help each person here to examine their hearts. For us to worship you today, We've worshipped you in song. We've worshipped you in giving. We've worshipped you, and now we're worshipping you in prayer. But we pray we'll worship you in the preaching of your word, which was so important in the New Testament. Lord, we thank you for all the preachers besides Jesus, Peter and Paul and Stephen and others who preached the truth. Help us just to realize today is the word of truth. Bless now in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This is known as Palm Sunday or the Triumphal Entry. 
It was always a custom to set aside a lamb for Passover. You'd set aside a lamb and you'd plan your big Passover feast to remember leaving Egypt. It's on record, one Passover in Jerusalem, they, they had 256,500 plus lambs slaughtered one year in Jerusalem. Pilgrims from all over the world would come to Jerusalem for the Passover. Jews from that had been scattered by Babylon and, 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 and Greece and the Medes and the Persians and, and, and Rome as well, and Rome would later scatter them more. They would make the return, and their families would come. The average Jewish family had ten people. You think it's stressful today with two children, or I had five? They had ten, the average. So it's estimated that 2.6 million people were in Jerusalem for Passover. That's on record. And so this was a big time uh, to have set aside a lamb. And little did they know that this was indeed the Lamb of God which would be set aside and slaughtered as they're setting aside this lamb and recognizing his greatness. And here he is in chapter 21. Now, Matthew, of course, the tax collector writes this, and he gives us great information, but we're going to drop down and just mention, we're not going to read, verses 12 to 17, we have here uh, what we call uh, inward corruption. This was happening in the temple, and Jesus was angry. The money changers, people who exchange foreign currency. Now, I lived in Japan for seven years, had to go get my money exchanged into yen so I could go and shop. And you always hated it when the currency dropped. You'd get less for your dollars, and that was always something you kept up with. Well, what happened in the temple was when people traveled with their foreign currency, these Jews coming to celebrate Passover, the people in the temple would take advantage of them and jack the rate way up. And then the people selling the sacrificial animals in the outer court would jack the rate of those animals up. And Jesus was angry. Here they're supposed to be uh, being part of this worship thing. You're providing a lamb. You ought to be into this not just for the money. You know, today a lot of times ministry is all about making money. You, you, you watch these televangelists. There are programs where the guy preaches for an hour about giving to his ministry, and the ministry is about raising money for the ministry. They don't do anything else. And we find all these different things, and I'm not against the Christian ties and the Christian bumper stickers and the Christian tie tacks and the little pins. I'm not against that, but there's so much commercialization of the Lord's work today that it bothers God, I'm sure. Not in each case. Some don't iron in it for the money, but that's what was going on here. And God was angry. And Jesus, being God in the flesh, did something about it. He turned those tables over. Can you see the coins going everywhere? And, and can you see him taking a whip and driving the people and the animals out of the area and said, my house is not a house of robbers. And he was angry, a den of thieves. And so that was in, inward corruption. Then we find verses 18 to 22, these outward signs. And the sign here is the fig tree. Jesus approaches a fig tree. It's covered in leaves. It's kind of like the hypocrites. They have leaves, but no fruit. Good-looking tree, and he goes because the Bible said he was hungry. And he went to eat, and the tree had been disobedient because it didn't produce fruit. Did you know that if you're a Christian and you're not producing fruit, you are what? Disobedient. And so he cursed that fig tree. So that's the rest of the story. But we're looking at the first section, and here we have spiritual blindness. 
all these people saying, here he is, he's going to save us. From Rome, they thought. And they were blind spiritually. They did not understand. Even his own 11 struggled to understand what was going on. And so he comes in here, he's coming from, the Bible says, uh, Bethpage is mentioned in verse 1. Let me back up to verse 1. It says here, uh, he sent them to Bethpage. Now, that doesn't exist today, that little place in the side of the Mount of Olives. But I've been there on the side of the Mount of Olives, and I've seen all the olive trees, and I've looked across the valley at Jerusalem. So I can just imagine what it was like. And he said, go there. And they had to go, they, and, and, and they were come to the Mount of Olives, and he sent the disciples and said, go over to this village and, and get these two animals and loose them and bring them to me. Now, the word Beth is the word meaning house. Remember Jacob at Bethel? That means house of God, Beth-el. El is the word for Elohim or God. So the word Beth, when you see it in the Bible, is always a word for house. And Beth-podge here means house of figs. Bethany, remember, meant house of, house of welcome. Bethany was where Lazarus was raised from the dead. And the locals called that, the Arab word is El-Azra, meaning after Lazarus. The city was in an uproar because Lazarus had been raised. And he was well known in his little village of Bethany. Mary and Martha were well known. And many, many people came and for four days he had laid dead. So many people knew about it. Everyone from that village had spread the word, and people from all over were coming to see this Jesus who had raised this guy from the dead. And so they're just coming in swarms hearing about Lazarus, and they're excited because is this the one who's going to deliver us from Roman oppression? They're spiritually blind. They don't realize they need to be delivered from sin. One of the sad things is when people want to come to God, And they want to come to God for what he will do for them. Now, I understand he will save us from sin, and that's doing the greatest thing ever. But a lot of people who come to God want to get something out of it. They've had a hard time. Maybe they're broke. Maybe they're sick. And they say, well, I'm going to get saved now, or I'm going to come to God, and maybe he'll help me with all of this. And they're a little disillusioned after they get saved. Because maybe their decision, I shouldn't say after they get saved, but after they make a decision, because maybe their decision is not really based on repentance and faith. You know what I mean? They want God to do something for them, and God doesn't bail them out. Now they're questioning, is God real? Well, the, the fact of the matter is, to be saved, you have to realize you're a sinner. You have to realize you're lost. And when you come to the conclusion that you are lost in sin, you are now ready to be saved. And these people didn't realize it yet. They wanted to deliver, but they didn't realize they were sinners. They were followers, many of them, of the system of the Old Testament, which had been twisted and turned and jerked out of order by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so they were uh, hypocrites, many of them, but they wanted deliverance. And so the whole city was saying, yes, it's true, he raised this guy from the dead, he's going to deliver us, and they're all worked up, and the city's filling up with people. And I think about these two animals. Donkeys are stubborn. In Job chapter 11, verse 12, God compares sinners to donkeys. Sinners to donkeys. And these two were tied. You know what Job talks about? Us being, actually it's Proverbs 5, 22, that we're chained or wrapped up in sin. 
And so the donkey's always a type in Scripture of a sinner. Think of all the times you see the donkey in the Scriptures. And there's so many great miracles uh, about animals and God controlling them. I mean, obviously in, in creation, the animals obeyed Adam and Eve. And then with the ark, they came by two. And so many specific illustrations. The, 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 the dumbass that spoke. And you think about the coin in the fish's mouth. In all these great things, we know the millennium, the animals again are going to be in submission. And the lion will lay down with the lamb. But the donkey's always a type of the sinner. The great story of Abraham and Isaac. They get a donkey, a type of sinner, and they put wood on its back, which... Several say, uh, uh, several people in my library, Keith says it, Walter Wilson says that wood is a type of sin. So they put the wood on the back of the sinner, and the donkey's carrying the wood to a place where they're going to have a sacrifice. But God provides a lamb. Instead of sacrificing Isaac, who's a type of Jesus, Abraham's a type of the father, Eliezer, who's not named there, is a type of the Holy Spirit, that God provides a lamb. But here comes Jesus on the back of a donkey. So what's that a type of? Well, Jesus became what? Sin for us. So the donkey's a type of the sinner, and here's Jesus. He's riding in. And whenever a donkey came riding in, we know that spoke of peace. Peace. Because if a, when a donkey came riding, a king on the back of a donkey, it spoke of peace. But a king on the back of a horse always spoke of war. So here he is. He's coming to bring peace. But not peace in the world from war and disease and all the difficulties. He's going to bring peace, a peace which surpasseth all understanding. It's in here. No matter what's going on in your life, when your relationship with Jesus is what it ought to be, you will lay down at night and have peace. Isn't that great? I love that peace. And I don't understand it because I can have something going on in my life that I'm very discouraged about and I lay down at night and I have peace. And uh, wonderful, wonderful thing. You know, and, and, and to think about God giving us that peace on the inside. But when, a, when a, a, a king came on a horse, it always meant war. I love Revelation 19. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. It goes on to say, and the armies which were with in heaven followed him on white horses. That's us. That's us. This is talking about the return of the earth, not the rapture. Seven years later, we come back down with him. And he's on a horse. And he's clothed with fine linen. white. We're clothed with fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword. And it says that it should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of the Almighty God. And on his vesture and on his name it was written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He came once to bring peace. But when he comes back the second time, it is to declare war. That word nations, he declares war on the nations, is a word ethos. We get a word ethnic, ethnicity from that. He's going to make war against all the people of the world that opposed him, that opposed Israel, that attacked Israel. He's going to clean the world up and set up his kingdom. And he's going to speak and the sword will come out of his mouth and defeat them all. We're, we're there as armies and we don't do anything but watch. Isn't that great? 
Now, our job between now and then is to win those people who are scattered all over the world. The ethnic groups of the world, many are coming to America. And I struggle sometimes when I watch too much of the news, get frustrated with illegal people pouring across our border, but then I think, God, you're sovereign. Help me with my Spanish. You know, I was 10 years in Panama, and no hable espanol is my main line. And I, but I'm thinking God's bringing those people here. He's allowing for it. And maybe we'll be able to reach them. Maybe we'll start a Spanish church here early in the mornings or something one day. Wouldn't that be great? Souls for whom Christ died. Not many amens are thinking about the border crossing. I'm thinking about their souls. And you know what I mean. We should rejoice when anyone comes to Jesus. And so we've got to think beyond the box here, folks, and think about lost souls and, and, and realize these people are people who Christ died for. But anyway, we know when the Lord comes, it's, He's going to defeat the enemy nations. Now, we get to our text. That was my introduction. And we look at here at verse 3. We have several titles. We'll look at verse 3. It says in verse 3, The Lord hath need of him. The first title in our passage is the title of the Lord. And that's not the Lord of the Old Testament where we find all capitals Yahweh. This is a word in the New Testament that means master. There's a word Lord in the Old Testament that means master and a Lord in the New Testament that means master. They both refer to Jesus. But here he is called the Lord. Heard a preacher one time preach an outline, and you've heard the outline, I'm sure. He's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's Lord. Anyone would stand up and say, I'm the Lord, you'd think, this guy's nuts. Years ago, I was up north, I was in a town, and a guy came up and told me he was Jesus. And I thought, okay, I'm the Messiah. He, he said his name was Jesus, and he meant Jesus Christ, and that he was there to set up. A, and I thought, this guy's nuts, Lord. Right. He's, they're either liars or they're lunatics or what? They're Lord. And the fact of the matter is Jesus is Lord. And while he allows people to make choices and live their lives, he convicts hearts to save them. He doesn't force it on anyone. Whosoever will may come. We know one day every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's Lord of all, whether you recognize it or not. Every knee's going to bow, the agnostic, the skeptic. I, I thought this week, you know, this is a great holiday week. Think of this for our agnostic and atheist friends. April 1st is their big holiday. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That's actually a Greek word, moron. That's where we get our word moron. Yeah, and, and so remember their special holiday is this week for all the fools that don't believe Jesus is Lord. It's their holiday. And so remember that. And give the gospel to someone this week. I mean, we have a great opportunity. We come in contact with people all the time. But the fact is, every knee is going to bow. Now, we look at verse 3. We see that he is Lord, the first of five titles. And then we drop down to verse 5. And we see in verse 5, he is called here the king. Tell ye the daughter of Zion, behold, the king cometh unto thee, meek and sitting upon the ass, the colt of a foal of an ass. I love Zechariah 9.9, written 500 years before. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. So here he comes, 
prophesied 500 years prior. What do you think the Bible scholars of the day thought when Jesus comes into the city and people are all gathered there and he comes in riding on a donkey? They're thinking, I know that passage. It would have been a great time for all of them to repent and be saved. You know, this morning, some of you are here, and I believe everyone here professes salvation, but if you don't, maybe the Holy Spirit's saying to you today, you know, this Jesus is, is Lord. And it's, it's been made plain to your heart today that he is the Savior. Then it would be a great time, the day of salvation for you. You see, they said, save us now. That's what Hosanna means. Save us now. Save us now. Back in Psalm 118, turn back there with me for a moment, Psalm chapter 118. They, they would sing these portions of Psalm 118. They would sing at the time of the feast of the Passover. During the, uh, at Passover, they'd sing this little phrase, Psalm 118.25, Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee, send now prosperity. That's what they would sing. Psalms are songs. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Well, this wasn't just coming in the name of the Lord. This was the Lord. Yahweh here, but it's Jesus that rode in. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. Verse eight, Psalm 118, verse 27. God is the Lord, which hath showed us light. So here they're singing about a future event when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. They're singing about that. They're singing about that. And we'll look at the other portion of Psalm 118 on Wednesday night as we study the Passover Wednesday night and connect it to the Lord's Supper and then we partake of the Lord's Supper a few nights from now remembering the past Passover and the Passover lamb. And then we look ahead to our victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. So back to verse 5 of our text. fulfilled. This fulfilled Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. It's amazing to me how everyone wants deliverance now. People who get saved, as I said earlier, they want something now. The only thing you'll get now is peace. And maybe joy. And maybe you'll understand how the God works and you'll, you'll begin to grow. But if you're being saved for what you can get out of it, your motives are wrong. Your motive ought to be that you want deliverance from sin. Not your house mortgage, you know, not, not your health problems, but you realize you're a sinner and you want a relationship with God. That, that's why we're saved. So anyway, we look back at our text and we pick up in verse 9. In verse 9 of our text, we have another title. Oh, I'm still on King. I'm sorry, in verse 5. Um, so anyway, John says no one, no man had ever sat on these broken animals. And so it says here uh, in verse 6 and 7, he told the disciples to get the ass and the ass's colt, and they brought and put clothes on both of them. They weren't sure what he was going to do, so they clothed both animals. And then he says, they, um, verse 8, they cut, they cut down branches from trees and shrewed them in the way. And parallel passages tell us these were, these were uh, palm branches. So they're throwing all these palm branches down. As you study these in the Scripture, palm branches speak of several things. I'll get back to preaching in a moment. But they speak of headship in John chapter 12. They speak of strength in Revelation 7, 9, where he takes over the world. They speak of rejoicing. When Nehemiah had finished rebuilding and they returned, they used palm branches to celebrate the Lord. 
So they're putting these palm branches down. They're celebrating victory in, in the Lord, victory hopefully over Rome, and that's not what's going to happen. The Greeks would throw down palm branches to recognize a king. And the Jews had learned that. So here they're spreading palm branches down. And drop down to verse 9. And the Bible said, And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, save us now. Amazing to me that on Palm Sunday they wanted Jesus, and by Thursday they wanted Barabbas. Isn't that like the world? I mean, it's going to be amazing when Jesus comes to set up His kingdom and He judges the world. Can you imagine people who say, but, you know, I, I, I'm ready to receive you. It's too late. See, It's too late. The Bible says that, that at the end of the thousand years, He's going to raise all the dead from all time and cast hell into the lake of fire. Hell's only a temporary abode. The lake of fire is a permanent place. Everybody's going to be judged. Every nation's going to stand. Every individual, the people who died in the ocean, are going to be raised. And all the people raised from all over the world. You watch these, I love these detective shows, and I watch them, and they say the body's never been discovered and will never be discovered. And I think, well, oh, yes, it will. God knows right where that dead body is. And at the great white throne, it's going to be raised. Now, if it's a believer, it's going to be raised at the rapture. God knows. God's in control. He's sovereign. But here, another name. Bible says in verse 9, they came, they cried, Hosanna to the Son of David. They had studied the genealogy. They knew the temple records. They knew he was related to David. The problem is, they had studied the two lines that came down to Jesus. They found sin in one line, and they thought, they thought Jesus was born of a bastard. A bastard born, born of a, a woman that had premarital sex. That's what they thought. That's what they called him. Now he's born of a virgin. And, and so now, now they, they've studied the records, and now they're, they're okay with all that now because he raised someone from the dead, and he's going to deliver them. So they're all worked up. Save us, save us, save us. The disciples in Luke's account said, Do you want, Lord, why don't you quiet the crowd? He said, if I quiet the crowd, the stones are going to cry out. The stones are going to cry out. And so here's this massive crowd. Look again at verse 9. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The word blessed is a great word. It's a word eulogo, our word eulogy. We have funerals coming up this week. Uh, Brother Clayton's funeral. And someone will stand up and eulogize him. They will speak well of him, won't they? And here, here the people said, eulogy, blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what that word blessed means. Let me ask you something. Do you eulogize the Lord? Do you speak highly of him? Can you say praise the Lord today? Can you say hallelujah today? That means praise the Lord. You all know that Hebrew word, hallelujah. Listen, praise the Lord. Every opportunity, it's easy in church, but we need to praise the Lord more often. Fell at Concord Baptist I knew years, 40 years ago. We called him Praise the Lord Jerry. And uh, Jerry's twins came to my house one day. They're friends of my kids. And I was talking to him. I said, you know what we used to call your dad? And he said, what? I said, Praise the Lord Jerry. Because all the time, every time he said hi to him, he said, Praise the Lord. And I used to think he was nuts. But I was the one that was nuts. He was having a good time. 
And, and, and I look back at that and think, people probably think I'm a little bit wacky sometimes because I'm maybe in a public place and something good happens and I'll, I'll say, praise the Lord. I don't yell it, but someone probably looks over and thinks, that guy, he's schizophrenic. He's talking to himself. No, I'm not. <laughs> he's worthy to be praised. He's a worthy lamb. He's a worthy savior. And here he's called now in verse 10 and verse 11. And when they came unto Jerusalem, all the city was moved saying, who is this? Who is this? And others said, this is Jesus, the prophet of Galilee. So we have his name and the fact that he was a prophet. And remember, remember that the Pharisees wouldn't call him a prophet in Luke chapter 7. Wouldn't call him a prophet. Yet he was before the first prophet, Moses. In fact, he was a prophet like unto Moses, but he was a perfect prophet. Do you know he was before John the Baptist, the prophet they knew? He was before Abraham. He said, before Abraham was, I was, or I am. He's always existed because he's the eternal son of God. And so they answered him, but they didn't quite get it all when they asked who it was. I, I love this little section I'm going to read to you. In Genesis, he's the seed of a woman. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's our high priest. In, De in Numbers, he's a pillar of cloud by day and by fire by night. In Deuteronomy, he's the prophet unto, like unto Moses. In Joshua, he's a captain of my salvation, the captain of our army. In Judges, he's a judge and the lawgiver. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In First and Second Samuel, he's the seed of the king. In Kings and Chronicles, he's our reigning king. In Ezra, he's our faithful scribe. In Nehemiah, he's our rebuilder of everything broken. In Esther, he's our Mordecai, our advocate. In Job, he's the ever-living redeemer. In Psalms, he's our shepherd. In, 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 in Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's a meaning of life. In Song of Solomon, he's the bridegroom. Isaiah calls him the prince of peace. Jeremiah calls him our weeping prophet. Ezekiel calls him the glorious Lord. Daniel says he's the man in the fiery furnace. Hosea said he's a faithful husband. Joel said he's the outpour of the spirit. Amos said he's a burden bearer. Obi Obadiah says he's judge and savior. Jonah said he's the risen Lord. Micah said he's a ruler of the world from Bethlehem. Nahum said he's our stronghold. Habakkuk said he's our watchman. Zephaniah, he's mighty to save. He's a restorer of Haggai. He's the branch of Zechariah. He's a son of righteousness of Malachi. I'll spare you the New Testament, but can you not say amen to that? I mean, he is the great I am. I love this. I'll read one more thing. I won't read any more what I've, what I've read. But he's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the keeper of creation, the creator of all. He's the architect of the universe and the manager of all times. He's all, he always was, he always is, and always will be. He's unmoved, unchanged, undefeated, and never undone. Isn't that something? He's my redeemer. He's my Savior. He's my guide. He's my peace. He's my joy. He's my comfort. He's my Lord, and He rules my life. That's my Jesus. We'll learn on Wednesday how much He suffered and how much He went through on that Friday when He was set aside as a lamb and killed. I believe in a Thursday killing of the lamb, because I line it up with a Passover, but it really doesn't matter. They say the Catholic Church came up with a Good Friday thing to fit their scenario and their, their, their way of governing their church. Others believe in a Thursday or Wednesday. It doesn't matter. I know this. He died. 
I can't tell you exactly when. I know the week, the Passover week. And I, I can't tell you all the details. I only know what Scripture tells me. And the last sign he gave to the Jews was as Jonah was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights. That's what's going to happen to the Lord Jesus. He'd be in the earth three days and three nights. But up from the grave he arose. <laughs> Hallelujah, Christ arose. If that doesn't get you, you got a problem inside. Because that's real, folks. He's alive. And He's here with us today. And He loves it when we praise Him and worship Him. We're supposed to come to church to worship the Lord. My dad used to sing a song. There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. Corniest song I ever heard. And then one of the things was there's a bump on the log. And I think sometimes we go to church and we're like bumps on a log. We're just sitting there. We're supposed to worship. While we all worship different, my mom would cry every time I went to church. I'd get irritated at her. Look, Mom, why are you crying? There's nothing sad. She just loved the Word. Her nose would get red, and we'd all tease her. All nine of us. Seven kids. And, and, but, but she loved to hear the Word, and she would just cry. And, and others would say, Amen. Praise the Lord. I don't know how you worship, but worship. Worship. He is worthy. Our altar is open. If you have something you need to pray about, you come. Sister Joy, you come. If you need to be saved and you think maybe I've just pretended and I'm not saved, come. We'll have someone help you understand why Jesus died and that He died for you. If you need to come to rededicate your life or recommit to church, I don't know what's on your heart, but I know God is real this morning. And I felt His presence here today. And He's a wonderful Lord. God bless us. Lord, I can't say enough good about You. Your Word says a lot, but we don't fully comprehend Your greatness. You're the Creator and the Sustainer. You're the Savior and Lord. And we ask you to forgive us collectively because we don't do enough to praise you. But this morning we praise you. And we thank you for saving us, not from Rome or from China, but from sin. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.